Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and uh, welcome everyone to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is leading in the continuous next. And our guest for today is Jeff Kahn, who's the Chief Strategist and CIO with Encore Electric. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good morning, Sanjog. How are you? Very good, sir. Life is beautiful, sunny out here in Chicago, and hopefully you're enjoying wherever you are. It's um, also sunny here in Denver, so it's a beautiful day. Very nice, very nice. So uh, the reason we wanted to talk about this is, you know, digital, digital transformation. And all of these terms have been used heavily and and for the right reasons, because that's the world we are living in. And CIOs have been given a mandate over the last few years to make something happen or for that matter, get digital embedded in the DNA of business. So life is good. A lot of good excitement. Work has been done. But then comes the point is, is this going to be a one time project? Or is it going to be a lifestyle for all people within business or in technology that they will have to continue to deal with the instability and something new that's going to happen? Whatever the, the, the newness that we used to see earlier every 10 years, five years now is happening on the daily basis. So what is the world that we are going to be living in or creating for ourselves for tomorrow? And if, if that's the world where everything is going to move on a regular basis, thinking and living the, the, the role of a CIO, what strategies, what type of culture, what type of tools, technologies, and platforms are supposed to be created so that you can stay ready for what's next and always also stay relevant? So to that end, if I were to ask you this first question, uh, Jeff, we are looking at digital all along, and we, to some extent, have been meeting or trying to meet stakeholders' expectations. But is that only one portion of it, or are you essentially taking the permission or without permission, building something which will keep you sane for times to come because things are not going to stop after you're done with your projects for today? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sanjog. I mean, I think meeting stakeholders' expectations now is often the driver for the business case for digital but really the ability to build for tomorrow is a function of the company's experience with digital transformation. And I've worked in a number of industries, currently I'm in construction, and what my observations over these many years is that as stakeholders become more entrenched or used to or reliant upon their digital tools, they start to become, their expectations evolve over time. So when you first start a digital transformation, the expectations are very low. Let's just get the system working. Um, as they start to get comfortable with the system, there's more and more understanding and emphasis and sort of gee whiz moments that now I can do this. And, oh, I didn't realize I could get this information. And now that will enable our business in different ways. And so to me, it's, it's not really a one-time event. It's really an evolution that's dependent upon the understanding of the stakeholders and how well they are versed in the digital information that they're now able to empower their business with. Now, so what you just mentioned is the stakeholders view or how comfortable they are with what they've done today, or even though they had a low expectation, but you perhaps 
do a good job as a CIO to at least help them see what digital can offer. And now suddenly the Pandora box could open or, or they can start asking for more. But that's still waiting for a stakeholder to tell what I want and let that drive the innovation, the, the continuous momentum forward. But that could slow you down too because they may not always know what's possible. And secondly, their vision of what's possible could be a little skewed because you could have offered them a better solution if you worked independent of what stakeholder wants. I'm not saying you got to go lone warrior or you have got to go rogue, but do you want to expand the horizon beyond what the stakeholder wants for you to do your job in this digital world? Absolutely. And I think that's why we take this technique of a lot of um, volunteer pilots and proof of concept. So there's often a, a varied uh, understanding and acceptance of, and tolerance of technology among stakeholders. And so we try to partner with the most forward-thinking ones who are really ready for that to expand that horizon. Because one of the things that I've tried to avoid is to try to be an industry expert replacing my stakeholder. And so in that sense, I don't want to try to make choices for them. I want to keep in mind what are the things that are possible in their world so that we can plan our infrastructure, plan our data flows accordingly. But I really try to partner with those folks who are really forward thinking because I find that they bring tremendous value and insights into the equation. And then as we use their experiences in these proof of concepts of these pilot environments or new technologies, kind of an R&D type function, that brings us more information where they're better informed to understand which way can we now direct our, our, our strategy and our vision going forward. And I think that's a really important part. It is still stakeholder-led, I think, because I think it's, um, we don't have a CTO-type position in our company. That's something I would look for a CTO to do is to be that innovator and that sort of you know, forward-thinking individual. So in absence of that, we're relying on our stakeholder partnerships to really help us inform that vision. Then, of course, we have to do all the work underneath that vision to really build it successfully. And as you mentioned earlier, not drive ourselves insane with rework and doing things maybe that end up being a dead end and we have to back up and start over on a new tool. So we have to balance those stakeholder expectations with a vision of the future and try to make all the all the IT infrastructure work together seamlessly for a good experience. So that's really how we've tried to combat that sort of hey, IT should both lead and then listen well to its stakeholders. See, one of the issues people have raised is somehow people start connecting digital means technology, whereas digital is just a different way of looking at things. And that to looking at it from a business standpoint versus technology implementation standpoint. So has this education been part of your collaboration and communication with the business that, hey, you know what, I will walk outside of this room you being the business stakeholders, think about what's possible, but don't think about it to be technology-centric versus think about the experience you want to offer. Do you think the education has reached that level of, or that, or that awareness has reached that level of maturity so that they can start thinking digital in true sense versus Jeff needs to be around if we're thinking digital? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, when I look across my experience in different industries, I would say this is absolutely a function of how long that particular industry has been through its first digital transformation, if you will. And, and what I mean by that is 
companies that have used to work on sort of more manual methods, sort of paper and pencil or even spreadsheets at a very basic level, moving into more systems and databases and, and information workflow. And I think I just don't see the pattern I see that's most common, Sanjog, is that we've got people who really need a lot of talking, discussing, helping them understand if they're not used to the digital world, they really don't understand it. And frankly, especially executives, they're often in a position where they feel somewhat intimidated because in their role as an executive, they're, they're looked upon by their colleagues and by the organization as an expert. And they are experts and they bring a lot of value to the organization by the very nature of being able to do that executive position. But, but if they feel a little bit weak or they don't have a full understanding of technology, my experience is they tend to shy away from that and they get a little uncomfortable and they're afraid to sort of like ask those hard questions. And so what we try to do is really work with them in a more, uh, a more casual environment, a more one-on-one environment where we start to try to draw experiences from their domain area of expertise. Maybe it's operations, maybe it's sales, maybe it's marketing. And then we start to talk to them about what if scenarios. And that's where we start to talk about that conversation you mentioned about being digital. What would it look like if you could do this? What would it look like if you could do that? And we don't talk about tools at all. We just try to have them envision a future in which they're getting something that is delivered digitally that they don't have today. And then once they're aware of that possibility and they start to engage in it, then we sort of leave them alone. And we just sort of pose this question and, and let them really think about it. And then it's remarkable. They, they're very creative and they come back with great ideas that often um, are challenged to implement. But we find that that's so powerful because they're already now through that first step of the educational process, which is awareness of digital. Once they've got the awareness, then they can start to reformulate their view of the world or their viewpoint and really understand, okay, this is how digital can inform me as an executive, as a business leader, or for my team, all the way up and down my organization so that we can do things better. The second thing we try to do is talk to their organizations at that grassroots level for people who are a little bit more digital savvy, really more aware of it, really have grown up in that technology. And we try to get those folks to have a similar conversation with their leadership so that they hear it not only from their, uh, the IT leadership, but they also hear it from their own staff. And that really helps them start to flesh out a, a worldview or a vision that is really going to be informed by digital. That's the best way we found to do our educational process. It's much better than having a formal class and that sort of thing. Most folks don't find that too interesting. So we really try to have a conversation around what can digital do for your business or your area of the business. Now, traditional business, or for that matter, the the business stakeholders have a mindset, or rather a dual mindset, that they want growth, but they also want stability. And this digital transformation, even like that is the first step when you even go the first time, you have to rip apart certain things for you to make them better. And yes, there may be uh, some, the business stakeholders may cringe on that in this a little bit, but then they'll eventually understand and you'll get them going. But now comes the continuous next, the, the whole concept of everything is going to continually change. Can they stomach something like that? Or are they willing to? Uh, another great question. I think I find that, for example, when I worked in finance, I worked at S&P Global back when it was known as Standard & Poor's, and um, they were very much a forerunner in the digital transformation. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 
providing information to the world's marketplaces. And this was before, this was in the 90s before um, automation started doing trading and things like that. So we've seen quite a leap during that time. And I think if I look at my experience in the finance sector, those folks were absolutely ready and willing and able to accept continuous improvement, even if that meant ripping out an old system and replacing with something better. They were very, very uh, understanding of how all the information within the ecosystem of that environment played together to produce products and services. Now, the big difference is that Standard & Poor's, going back even 100 years, was in the business of providing information. They just used to do it in the form of printed books. And so they had a culture of understanding that information is a thing. It's the lifeblood of their services. When I compare that experience where they're tolerant of continuous improvement to other industries that are more traditional brick-and-mortar type mindsets, they don't necessarily think of their business as a stream of information. They think of products and services as more discrete units. And, and sure, information is nice to help us deliver those products and services, but they don't really think of it like IT professionals would think of it as, hey, this is really a stream of information. It's an ecosystem that you can use to inform your business. And so that's where you find that continuous improvement, that tolerance, if you will, for that continuous improvement there is a lot more reluctance because I think they feel like, hey, if I've created this new product um, and I'm selling it to my customers, they have that same product mindset with the IT infrastructure. They think, okay, we're done with this project and we're good to go. Um, And so to combat that, what we really try to do is have a conversation again with the business leadership and their staff to understand that, hey, this is what it really means to continuously improve this type of environment. We don't really want to think that this is a one and done. And we use some really simple things like security updates. We might do tens of thousands of security patches this year. And when they start to understand that digital and information technology infrastructure is constantly evolving, that they start to warm up to the idea that this is not just a single project, a single one-time event, that sure, there are episodic project delivery moments, but at the same time, it's a really a long-term continuous improvement. And so I think it just varies with their experience. I wish more people would think like the folks at S&P because they did a great job of understanding that this is an evolutionary process. It's not episodic as much as people would like to think it is. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And your response triggers a thought here. Uh, You mentioned that IT people think about this as stream of information which needs to be managed, and that's what their job is. And business stakeholders are looking at them as products, discrete products and services. What would it take for it to be seen by both parties as micro and macro experiences? Because digital is about experience, not just marketing angle, but overall. Whatever you're doing is nothing else but an experience and people are somehow getting compensated for it. How do we get both parties to start thinking experience so that what we are after leveraging digital actually is understood and then manifested in the manner it is supposed to. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore.
predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, the, the two definitions or two ways of interpreting what people are doing in IT, they look at, oh, I have to manage stream of information across the enterprise and maybe with partners and customers. And um, then the other side you have the experience creation, or rather, sorry, the discrete product and service being sold, and that's what a business looks at it. What if we went and made it as one definition of enabling a business with digital is to create micro and macro experiences, which, if are at their best, is what's going to make a customer come and stay It'll have your partners work well with you. It'll have your employees work well with you. It'll have your brand have sustained relevance. How about going that route? Well, I like the idea of an experience because I think one of the powerful ways that we can inform folks with with this type of situation is to talk about stories. And so what are the stories? What are the experiences? To me, those are a little bit synonymous what is my experience as a customer? What is my experience as an employee, as a worker for an organization? And so I think, yes, I agree with you that that, that experience management is really important. And recently at Encore, um, we, have, we have a shortage of construction workers. We're in the electrical trade. And so electricians are really important. They're technical people. They have to go through a number of years of training become journeymen. And so they're hard to find and we like to keep them. And we've more recently tried to use digital experiences to bring people in. And so a quick example is when we try to recruit folks, we start to have a conversation with those individuals. We may ask them to, we may send, ask them into a conversation where they start to get some information from, here's some things to do to be a, a more effective in your role as an electrician. And pretty soon, and it can be many months that we have this conversation through a monthly newsletter, sort of a a drip marketing type of situation. And these are folks that are either passively or actively looking for work 
through search engine optimizations, you know, trying to click through certain keywords and so forth. And so once we get them into this conversation, we start to put our best foot forward as a company and why we're innovative and why we have all these great things to offer an electrician. And Sanjo, I think what happens is that that experience comes through when they actually enter into our formal onboarding and interview process. And we had a great uh, recent example of a woman who left her sort of political career, if you will, with a master's degree and became an electrician. And then in her fourth year of apprenticeship, she heard about Encore and had literally a nine-month conversation with our, with our recruiting team through digital experiences to where she came in and now she's a very excited and engaged employee. And so I use that example as a, just to back up your point of, hey, it's about the experience. I mean, this isn't just give me your resume and let's hire you. This is a, this is a life decision for this individual to really move from one company where she's established into a company where she can have her goals as a tradesperson, as a craftswoman, you know, supported throughout her career. And so she, she looks at us as an employer of choice because she had this experience. She had this digital conversation with us over many months, and it was a great way to, to sort of explain to folks how we can use that experience with digital support to really change the way we, we find employees, which is a critical part of our business. So coming back to the continuous next concept of everything on a regular basis shifting, would you want to, or would anyone want to be in a sandstorm where the sandstorm never settles? I'm not sure if anyone, I, I would not want to be there. So right. what do you do to handle, but it's, it's not something that we can control the sandstorm. So do, what do we do? Do we just lock ourselves in a place which is kind of uh, keeping us away from the sandstorm? Or we just try to fight through it and say, this is the way of life we are going to choose. What, in your view, would be a sane and an approach which will be in the best interest of the organization? And yes, it could change from one company to another. But what would be a way to deal with it if you were to go and advise companies on us? Well, I think what I'd like to do is bring in some of the experiences from the strategy perspective. And that one of the things about good strategy is that it, it's always a matter of course correcting. And so I think it's the same situation. When you're inside that sandstorm, you've got to have some moments regularly scheduled where you sort of get out of the sandstorm, if you will, and you think about what if, what if things were clear blue skies? What would it really look like over the next three months, six months, 12 months? And then I think having those regular conversations, and we're not talking, Sanjo, every, um, every week or even every month, but maybe once or twice a year, maybe once a quarter, depending on the size of the organization, really you, you hit pause and you, and you have a conversation among the IT folks and you have a conversation with your stakeholders and you start to think about what are the things that are on our radar. I also think it's important to connect with other leaders. One of the things I love about social media is that whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn, those are my two main platforms, I'm able to find other CIOs, have conversations. In our particular trade, we, we work with a lot of general contractors, a lot of large ones, and I, I love to have those conversations where we'll get together. We did this recently with one of our big GCs that we work with. We invited their IT leadership to come to our office and have a conversation about what they're doing in terms of their digital transformation. And I think those having that outside perspective, being able to compare notes, 
it, it helps us inform our, our sort of our version of the sandstorm. It helps us understand, are we in that same universe as some of our partners and peer groups that we work with? And it really helps us have that moment of sanity because I agree with you. We can't just run around hoping that the sandstorm is going to end. I mean, I think digital just, you know, is always changing. And when you talk about cloud services that can be updated on a regular basis and agile development and some of these things that are really pushing the, the change management envelope, I still think we need to have a deliberate view into what's happening and then look toward the future and, and even go to some of those events, those conferences where you hear a futurist talk and you think about, gee whiz, what would it look like if robots were able to do construction? I don't know, that sounds pretty crazy. But, you know, five years ago, Sanjay, things like augmented reality and virtual reality were not talked about in the construction industry. And now we have tools to have our plans display on the job site in an augmented reality, and the, the craftsmen love it. It absolutely helps their job. So things that seemed fanciful only five years ago are now here on our doorstep, and we need to deal with them. And and so what you just mentioned is we will get in there, and you're essentially saying you kind of create uh, an, an um, outstation, if you will, where you get into the sandstorm, live it on a regular basis, but you find ways for you to come out of it, but not to literally see that, okay, we are going to go slow. Because we, I suggest there's two approaches. Either we go slow and be outside of the sandstorm, or you jump in. And stay there, but you're you're saying jumping in and fighting it to continually improve on on whatever that we can leverage. Do that, but then you just come out and 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 do your reflection, and then get back in. Am I correct? That is correct. I think that's been working well for us. Okay. So so with with that, when you are doing it, when the next thing which comes up which is uh, the stability part, the question which I had actually asked you earlier. Is business okay, especially when they have Wall Street to uh, report to or some other investors to report to, that we are going to continually disrupt? And whenever you disrupt something, number one, there is a cost involved to it. Secondly, anything which you remove, where, where you remove the stability, you are having the risk of jeopardizing the experience that you are offering to the customer, that may not be a digital experience or a semi-digital experience, but any experience, there could be a risk of disruption, which that end customer doesn't care about or should not care about that you are doing the next best thing in digital. So how do you eat the cake and have it too? <laughs> uh, the proverbial question, I, I, I think it's difficult. We tend to rely on some more traditional or conventional tools to inform our decisions. So, for example, at Encore, before I arrived, business cases were not necessarily something that people did on a regular basis. And I think that really helps us understand what are the costs of disruption. Because I think when a business has, has a need and we say to them, unfortunately, your need is going to have to be fulfilled by this different path that will be a significant disruption, often they're agreeable to it, frankly, because they know the benefits are there. And, and if they're not sure, we help them try to understand are the benefits there through the business case process. And once we've, once we've got that uh, common agreement on, on vision and benefits, then the biggest things that frustrate business leaders is that 
we don't actually realize those benefits. And so business benefit realization is a really important concept for us. And that's really just simply measuring the results of the, of the transformation and, and also controlling the disruption. So if we can show through measurements of certain key performance indicators that, yes, this new thing is much better than the old way, they are much more tolerant of the disruption. Now, to get to those business benefits, though, as you probably know, you need to get through that change management chasm. So you've got people who are doing things day to day, day in and day out, the way they're doing it. Along comes a new way of doing things. We have to bring every individual in that organization that's affected by that change through that change process. And that, that includes giving them a strong why statement. Why are we doing this? That shouldn't just stay with the business case. We need to inform everybody who's touched by this or impacted by this. And then secondly, how do we understand where they are today and how do we get them to where they need to be so that they are able to successfully navigate the change? Because it comes down to sort of a little bit of a psychological phenomenon where you have to work with every individual where they're at, identify and articulate how do we make this change least disruptive for them. Because even if the business leaders are okay, more, more often than not, they've already made that mental transition. They've sort of crossed over that chasm of change. Their brains are now operating in the new world as if the disruption has already taken place. Meanwhile, their, 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 their organizations are trailing behind them. Maybe they're not well-informed. Maybe they don't have the same vision. There's lots of reasons why they're lagging behind. And so we find that unless we bring that organization up to speed in partnership with that executive leadership team, it's very difficult and there's much less tolerance for disruption. So in a nutshell, I think we're trying to say disruption is best managed, not just let happen, happen uh, you know, sort of without a plan, because that way people are much more receptive to the change. We can also make course corrections in the middle of the disruption to make, th- make things improved and try to meet those business benefits that we promised when we kicked off this disruption. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk dollars and cents for a second. You can look at one disruption and you go through the whole process and then you try to monetize it, milk it as much as you can. That's one approach. Then second is you do it to a limited degree, but then jump on to another one thinking that the next disruption will give you a quantum leap, which again will have a cost and there will be some sort of a return. How does an organization go about building their balanced ROI calculator where they have a healthy balance between continuous disruption and the quantum leaps and monetizing the disruption they did long enough that they are recouping the benefits and plus more? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. 
Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, talking about ROI, you could do one change, do whatever you can to stabilize after the change, monetize the change, and then think about the next change. Another is, while you are in the process of monetizing the first change, another opportunity comes along, which could have you take a quantum leap. No guarantees, but still it's promising. What should you do? Should you continue to drop what you were doing in terms of monetizing the previous change or you jump ahead on that other change which is promising far more returns? How does one make a decision? How does one make do those ROI calculations so that it is not pure gut? This is a challenge definitely, I think, for most businesses and it's not a science at this point, in my opinion. I think part of it is understanding what is the overall macroeconomic climate that your business is operating in, and do you need what kind of, quote, quantum leaps do you need to, to accomplish? I mean, if you look at the history of business, most companies struggle to transition their, their business model into the next paradigm that has been imposed upon them by the macroeconomics of their industry. And so there are certainly technology companies who've done it, but for every um, technology company that's successfully migrated, you can come up with other companies that, like Blockbuster, like uh, Xerox, that companies that maybe had a great idea and then that, that idea, it, they did not take that quantum change. And so for us, it, it's really that ongoing conversation. You know, portfolio management's important because you've got to understand how much money am I going to put into today's investment to realize those benefits that were promised? And I've got to reserve some of my dollars for that future thinking, what's happening five years out, that research and development type budget. That way you've got a little bit more of an opportunity kind of ahead of the curve. Um, I think uh, Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm is a great model when you think about this. And you want to spend some of your time on the, on the really early adopter type type mindset and tools and things that are out there while being ready to understand that your business may not want to cross that chasm um, into adoption. So I think it's important to try to inform and work with your business leaders, try to understand. I like to talk to some of the economists that really try to think ahead and and try to predict those more five to 10 year trends, because that's where you're really going to try to decide, okay, we're at this inflection point as a business. Now these things are happening. We need to respond. So we probably have to stop doing what we've been doing and go to that quantum leap type thing. But I will say this. In my experience so far, 
25 plus years, I don't see the quantum leaps happen like we would imagine them to happen. They really happen over time. You look at the smartphone, that was probably a quantum leap that's happened in the last 10 years. I mean, before really the iPhone was there, we had Blackberries and we had other types of things before that. So we were getting into it. And now you can't imagine a world without a smartphone. So on a macro time scale, this 10 or 15 years of the smartphone has absolutely, absolutely been a quantum, a quantum leap. But it, it took us 15 years or 10 years or whatever the number is to get from you know, nothing to these great, powerful devices in our pockets. And so my point is, Sanjo, we have time. The quantum leap isn't necessarily a snap of the finger inflection point. Now let's talk about talent because you did mention about people. What happens to the people who make all of this happen, who are coming through the ideation phase to the execution phase? People are very excited when there is a new project that starts. There's a kickoff party. And then, of course, the journey can be exciting depending on how you manage but then how do you people give people that breathing room so that they are excited about the next challenge so that they can put in their might and their interest and their creativity on the next one? If Doesn't it create this continuous next? Isn't it supposed to or it will end up creating a fatigue among the even the most charged up people if we let it keep going at the pace we are expecting it to keep going? It will create fatigue. There's no question. And I think one of the things that we try to do is when we have different types of innovation groups, for example, our strategy, we have four different, what we call them roots groups that have to do with their line with certain areas of the business on a balanced scorecard. So we've got customer, we've got products and services, operations and people. And so the roots group is, a, is that innovative group of people, five to eight people who are from different areas of the business who are there to be innovative, to use design thinking techniques, and try to understand how do we achieve our strategic goals that we've set out, our outcomes. And so what we, what we really want to do is we want to have tours of duty. I like to think of the military. You know, when, when you are deployed as a military professional to sort of a, a, a zone that there's like conflict, you don't typically often have those people go back tour after tour after tour you try to rotate them in. So people go into the conflict area for a while and then they come back out and they have a chance to recharge. And so with our roots groups, our innovation teams, we try to do the same thing to where people, they have a day job and we've asked them to step up and do this extra work for this roots groups, be creative, take off your, take off your, your, your goggles for your worldview and to look at the whole company. But, but they only have so much time to do that. And so that causes fatigue and stress and so we try, to, we try to rotate folks on a regular basis so that not only do they get opportunities and we develop future leaders who are going to be more innovative and learn these skill sets of design thinking, but we also avoid burnout because they are having to do extra time to do this innovation. Unfortunately, I've not met too many businesses that have a dedicated R&D staff. I think that's a really great idea, and for certain types of industries, that makes sense. I think for the everyday business, in most industries, they often are reluctant to fully fund kind of full-time R&D type folks. And that's, that's the other option is that you've got people who don't have a day job. They can stay focused on what's new, what's happening, what's changing. So I've personally not worked in that, that model of full-time R&D, Sanjay, but I think that's would be, that would be interesting. But I think the, the, in, in light of that, and we, we've got to go with the tour of duty. 
And and even when there may not be an R&D department and you're expecting your regular people because the brightest ideas could come from the people who are in the trenches or who are living the business versus people who are just sitting and experimenting, etc. Now, even that said, you come, you let a group of people come up with a bright idea. You've started experimenting and or you, you actually start implementing it. And then you say, hey, we are going to change this. And you ask them to move to something else. Now, everyone is not formally trained to be a designer. While we talk about design thinking, those people are trained to let go of the love of their creation so that they can fundamentally think differently the next time. But an average Joe in your organization, now when I say Joe doesn't mean the person is not intelligent or doesn't have the creativity, but they have not been able, they will, they may not always be able to remove themselves from the previous creation for them to do fundamentally different disruptive creation the next time. This is a specific mental muscle somebody or a group of people have to develop. And I'm not sure if organizations are equipped to churn or convert everyone into that level of a designer. So do you think putting the same people going from one innovation to second to the third, is it going to start developing uh, what I call as uh, it'll start following the law of diminishing returns that your subsequent innovations will be less and less thrilling or value creating? What, what, what are we doing to our organization, not in terms of only burnout, but our ability to produce by the getting them to do way too much, way too quickly? Well, the prioritization process is really important. And I think I agree with you. There is a law of diminishing returns. People, people naturally, I think there is an excitement when you get onto a team that's innovative. We try to give them tools and research articles that help them understand what we're asking them to do. And then we try to kind of get out of the room and let the team sort of work on its own and start to go through that team formation process. What we find is that that team generates its own energy and enthusiasm for their good ideas. And then we, when, we, when we have that next iteration, often by the nature of the work we do at Encore, which is project work, very intense commercial construction projects, um, certain people are not always available because we need them to go build this data center or build that hospital. And so those folks are, we have a natural cycle, I guess, a natural cadence where some people are available and others aren't. So we're not so stuck in that idea of, okay, we've always got the same six people trying to do innovation and design thinking. The other thing we've done is use folks like um, People Before Things. It's a great book I recommend. You can look it up for Chris Laping. He's the CIO of uh, Einstein now, but when he was at Red Robin, he he wrote this book, and it's a great book, and um, it, it's got a lot of great ideas. And so we actually use some of his consulting resources, and I think that's another good way to bring in some folks, whether it's uh, Fjord or some of those big companies that, that have sort of sell themselves as innovators and design thinkers to help them come into the team and, and, and try to bring some enthusiasm, some outside perspective to kind of give a little bit of mentorship to the team to help them understand what they can do to become more innovative. Let's take a quick break, listeners, again, and let's go into the brass tacks, which is even coming into the IT camp, if you will. We have to think about an enterprise architecture, maybe getting out of it, think about business architecture, and then about the technology platforms that you would invest in or develop. What would you do 
by design to be ready or to get ready for continuous next? Do you start thinking from the very get-go of all the possibilities that could happen in the future and design for tomorrow, day after tomorrow, or the future, or you design it for today, keeping in mind that there will be some throwaway work? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So enterprise architecture, platform strategy, technology tools, the stacks, the whole works. When we are defining them for, say, phase one of your digital transformation, or even, even more so that if you're in the second or third phase, and you know more is going to come pretty fast in volume and variety, how do you determine the very tenets of an enterprise architecture or these other things that I mentioned in terms of platform so that you minimize the throwaway work or is the minimization of throwaway work be the focal point or what you want to get done today? How much money should you allocate to saying this is sunk cost and it is not going to be recovered, but I'll just go ahead and do it anyways. What is your, your formula regarding this? I think what we try to do is utilize the, for example, we talked about Microsoft stack, and I think, you know, Office 365 type environments or Microsoft Azure environments, you know, like typical Microsoft, they they are slower to jump on a trend, and then once they get it down, it becomes a pretty a pretty good environment. And so we, for example, did not jump on the AWS environment. We have one, our ERP is hosted on AWS, but that's through our vendor we are, our infrastructure has moved into the Azure environment. And as we made that strategic uh, decision a number of years ago, we slowly moved things into it. And I think, yes, there were some costs. So old servers that we had that are now decommissioned, that were on-premise, that are no longer necessary. 
And we try to manage those things from an enterprise architecture standpoint, knowing that they're going to change. You know, nobody's running Windows NT anymore. And so that's, that's just part of the, d- the drill. And so we have to reserve a certain amount of time <clears throat> excuse me, and money so that folks can successfully migrate to the latest tool set. But we honestly are not a big enough company. We're about $225 million company. We don't have enough IT staff to have, you know, a full-time enterprise architecture team like I would have at McGraw-Hill or Standard & Poor's, which was great. I loved my tour of duties in enterprise architecture, and I learned a lot about that. But we don't have that at this smaller organization. And so we're more reliant on our vendors and our partnerships to really understand where are they going, what are the new features of their of their enterprise architectures that we can leverage at a, at a good price point, knowing that they're going to change. The other nice thing about the cloud environments is that we get a lot of benefit from them keeping it up to date. So we're able to run a leaner and meaner uh, IT staff because we're not spending so much time in upgrades of this SQL database or that AD environment and all that good stuff, exchange, et cetera. So we get a lot of bang for our buck off this new model of, of subscription-based. I understand there's a long-term cost, but for me, the benefit of their knowledge and expertise from the Microsoft perspective, for example, or AWS, or pick your favorite one, is really helpful. And that's how we leverage our enterprise architecture planning going forward. Let's talk about culture a little bit. So yeah, we spoke about people, and people are what develop the culture, but culture typically, the tone is set from top down. Adoption is bottom up. Coming to the top-down tone, given that continuous next is an inevitable reality, what culture definition that you would like to put forth or would you recommend for organizations who are getting ready to tackle this continuous next? Culture is a really important dynamic, and I agree with you that a bad culture or a culture that's really closed off and not innovative is very difficult to work within. If you're in one of those cultures that's closed off to innovation, I think the first thing to do is really start to go out to lunch with all your stakeholders on a regular basis or have informal conversations over coffee and start to introduce some of these ideas because you really want the culture to be flexible. I think that's the biggest thing is that if you can work with your team members and your, your colleagues in the different areas of the business, you're going to have a much more successful experience for them to start to open up to this idea of, of constant change. Um, in, our, in our current environment with electrical work, you know, you may build a building and that building may have a 30 or 50 year lifespan and certain electrical systems in that building may never change for that entire lifespan. Whereas you look at IT infrastructure, it's changing every three years, maybe every five years. And so I try to draw distinctions in our particular industry to say, look, this is what you're used to in your business mindset, but this is the reality of what changes within infrastructure when you talk about information technology. And so, again, trying to inform their understanding of what what it means to be innovative and, and lead with digital transformation and go through these different continuous improvements that we talked about the past hour, it really helps them if you can put it into their terminology, use their words that are from their area of expertise in the business. So I jokingly say to my colleagues, I say, I've had to learn to speak electrician because I really need to understand what it means to be an electrical contractor so that I can then draw parallels from that world into my world. Because if I just talk, Sanjog, about only my IT experiences and digital this and blah, 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 that, 
those guys often in the business, they feel a little overwhelmed, a little intimidated, and they get frustrated. And then we lose our opportunity to connect and, and be a, build a partnership where we both can work together to make sure that we really do what's best for the business. Um, and so I try to use as few IT terms as possible if I can avoid it and really talk in terms of analogies and telling stories so that they can start to see what we're talking about and how it relates to them. And it's remarkable. Um, just for a quick example, we were trying to talk about a business analyst position. And so there's this idea of pre-construction, which is the sales effort before the, the construction project is won. That's a lot of research. And we drew the analogy to say a good business analyst is like a good pre-construction manager. And when you say things like that in their terminology, wow, those light bulbs really go on. And that really helps the culture build itself up to where we're on the same page. We're all pointed in the same direction. We're all trying to do our best to improve the business. Because my experience is most people want to do their best work when they're at work. They don't want to be in a silo. They don't want to be frustrated. They don't want to be in this negative culture. And, but if you don't give them an opportunity to be listened to and communicate and build bridges of understanding, you end up creating silos unintentionally. And I think that's the best way I've found so far to break down those silos and build that great culture of innovation and success. One last question is about the leadership, because continuous next is not for the faintest of the hearts. Even digital transformation wasn't. So what type of new muscle or improvements in your existing muscles as a leader would you recommend for the top leadership, the CIOs, so that they can tackle it while staying sane? I think trying to understand, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier, design thinking is really important. I think that's a really, evo uh, really evolutionary process for the CIO. I think often we think of ourselves as the experts, which is great, but I think there's a lot of benefit to be learned from the creative folks who really think about that experience that you mentioned earlier. I love that word. It's such a great word because it really captures what we're trying to accomplish. And if we can think about telling stories, being good change agents, learning about how to cultivate and talk about experiences as CIOs, I think that's a, that's a great skill set to learn. And you can look at, there's lots, of great, uh, there's lots of great resources where you can learn and go to a storytelling workshop even, where you learn how to tell a story, because that's really how you break through. And I think if CIOs get into that model of, like, here's my story and here's how I'm going to inform a project and sell these benefits and all these things, it's not so much about you still have to do all the work we've always done with the business case and the ROIs and all the technical work, but you really can connect to people. And I think that's the one area I've really tried to improve over the last few years with the help of many mentors and, and resources outside of my organization. And I, I think I've definitely reaped the benefits of that. So that would be my top suggestion is learn to be a storyteller and learn to really build bridges with people in your business. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Jeff, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can rethink the approach they're taking in terms of their culture, the leadership, the technology platforms, and the way they handle people so that overall they are able to get ready to work in the continuous next and the CIOs themselves and the business leaders combined can improve themselves and gear up for the continuous next. So thank you so much again, and it was a pleasure. Thank you. It was my pleasure as well. Have a great day. 
Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed it. Got some nuggets out of this. Please like us on Facebook. Search for CTN, that is CIO Talk Network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Our podcasts are available on all major platforms, so please listen and rate us so that more people discover and benefit. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>